Welcome to AgTech Innovators, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. We've all heard the term, think outside the square. Rarely, though, does that extend to thinking literally off the planet and into outer space to resolve problems back here on Earth. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and that describes the journey of agtech startup Gaia Project Australia. To explain the space connection and much more about their startup journey, I'm joined in the AgTech Innovators Studio by founder and CEO of Gaia Project Australia, Nadun Hanayaka. Thanks for your time. Hi, oh, you're welcome, Drew. Great to be on the program. Nadun, first of all, I want to take one big step back. Your company name, where does that come from? So Gaia is in all Greek means Earth. So thought I'll make a company that call itself the Earth Project from Australia. That's the start point of it. I think that's a very important start point, though, because you've got a very strong focus on the future in terms of sustainability. And you've developed a technology solution. I just want to take one step back. What were you trying to solve? My goal was to, I mean, world has a lot of problems on its own. So rather the than being on the sideline and then, you know, complaining about it, just uh, get in there and try to fix at least one thing at a time. So thought uh, renewable energy, waste to energy, agriculture, key points that we all need that we need to fix. So that's where the starting point. And you focused on agriculture, specifically food production. So what's your technology solution? So our technology is mainly relating to control environment agriculture. That umbrella includes everything from greenhouses to vertical farms. And uh, we developed a new technology that changed how we grow or how we cultivate produce, mainly on leafy greens. Traditional systems that we used fixed planting methods. I mean, that's something that we've done for the last thousand years where we allocate certain amount of space for the plants to grow. But then if you look at more advanced greenhouse and greenhouse companies, for example, they use like robotics or human labor in transplanting plants from one place to another as they grow to make sure that you have high densities to save energy cost and land use. What we build is something completely different where we build a modular channel system that actually grows with the plant. So it follows the plant's actual growth cycle. This way we don't have to use robotics or transplanting and we can get the same efficiency, actually high efficiencies comparison to what's out there in the market. So essentially the space around the plant increases as it grows, for want of a better description. Correct. Your technology, though, is not just purely about space. So from my understanding, it's a far more energy efficient way of producing leafy greens. It is. So if you do not use transplanting, then our system, if you implement that for any other people who's using it, then obviously you will get your efficiency or your energy saving by more than 50%. Because it's not fixed, the plant's always in a high density, so you can actually plant double the volume that you can normally get on a fixed system. I understand too, though, you're using less water by a significant margin and less nutrients. Yes, I mean, so that's a common practice that already achieved in uh, control environment agriculture. I mean, that's one of the reasons people are looking to it as a urban agriculture solution or CEA, we call control environment agriculture, already is around 90-95% efficient in water. So it uses very less amount of water than it comes to nutrients because they don't have any runoffs. It 
completely recycles the water, it uses around 50 to 60% less fertilizer as well in comparison to traditional farming. So those are the two biggest benefits. Then there are small ones such as, I mean, it's not actually small if they don't use pesticides or insecticides. Even if they do, it's a very low amount in comparison to what's in the traditional field. What you've developed sounds very future-focused and a really efficient way of growing food. I understand you came up with this a number of years ago, but you struggled to find traction and then you ended up looking to outer space. Can you explain that to me a little bit, please? Yeah, I mean, uh, my background is not agriculture. So when I did stumble upon this idea of, hey, why don't we create a new system that actually grow with the plants? I mean, when you look at the traditional market, my first approach was, look, this is a new solution that can increase the yield by 50%. Then uh, we heard about this program from NASA, so I thought, I mean, if there's a best of the world can tell me I'm wrong, that would be the guy. So I kind of initially wrote them a letter, then uh, request for some more information. So I sent some design draft and our calculations on our system designs and kind of got approved. Then in 2021, once we applied, uh, we won the International Innovation Award on the year one, on the phase one of the program. That's quite a remarkable outcome. Now, this is NASA's Deep Space Food Challenge. And what's that trying to solve? So the initial challenge was built around the idea of long-duration flights. So if you're going beyond space and then you have long flights, let's say Mars or beyond, astronauts need to have capabilities of producing natural food in the spaceships during these timelines. But at the same time, you had to think about the cabin space. So it has to be very energy efficient, very space efficient. And we need to be able to reuse majority of the stuff and also has the capabilities to self operate on its own. So less human interaction, more automation, less breakpoints. So with NASA, it's everything is very complex. I mean, you have to understand astronauts have a lot of things to do and you don't have the option to call support when you halfway through the space to ask for help to fix something fixed so building something is uh, with a lot of restrictions is what we had to follow in the building of the process would say i find it ironic that you've had to turn to space to gain traction back on earth i think it's a good way i mean if it was for earth we wouldn't really deep dive into how to further improve our technology for example in commercial use in earth like you don't want to have a system that has high breakpoints. How do you make it more simpler that everyday person can use it even if it's need to be serviced? So a lot of parameters that we would have, have overlooked, we didn't because of the due diligence that we have to do for space. The interesting part I find about this is I assume that this could be used commercially in a large vertically integrated farm for want of a better description. But you're actually looking at the concept of installing these in people's homes. That is. So fundamentally, the cultivation system that we created, it's suitable for greenhouses, large or small, vertical farms, large or small, and of course, for residential systems. The phase two prototype we built for NASA is a two cubic meter system. So it's kind of size of a two refrigerators. But if you have that system down, then you will have a very small unit, kind of size of a double door refrigerator that can produce all your leafy greens or your herbs, microgreens and all that stuff inside your house. So that would be one of the other pathways that we're looking into as well. 
So that's got significant benefits in terms of, well, I can produce my own food from within my own home, especially if I'm living in an apartment. But you're also reducing food miles, you're reducing nutrient inputs. There's a whole range of benefits, surely. Of course, yes. I mean, apart from all of that, you know the food that you grow, you know there's no pesticides, there's no insecticides. And like we're speaking with a couple of companies now who are building smart homes. So ideally, you can rearrange your central cooling systems that it absorbs the CO2 that you breathe out, cleans that, put it to the plants where plants love the CO2. So it's like the home itself is a carbon sink. There's a lot of benefits that come around it. So it's it's something that because we develop it through NASA, I mean, there's a lot of technology advantage that we have overcome to come closer towards a residential system in the next few years. You mentioned earlier on, Nadun, that you came up with a concept around, I think, 2019, but maybe Australia's startup culture wasn't quite then what it is now and you ended up turning to space. But you've now got involved with SVG Thrive APAC Accelerator. In a recent episode, we interviewed Michael Macalono from SVG about the Accelerator, of which you were part of. But can you just describe your journey, you know, how you got involved with the program? I think SVG was something we applied late last year for the accelerator in the US and they said they're opening up a program for APAC, which we got selected. I think so far the several accelerators we've been in, this is directly related to agriculture. So it's the benefits we get is more towards this pathway that we're going. So everything from meeting the farmers to working with the people on the same area that we own is this significant benefit for anyone in the ag tech startup sector. In terms of being in that ag tech startup sector, a significant opportunity through SVG Thrive was going to Silicon Valley in the United States. What did you go there for? What did it involve? So the initial was to the introduction to meet everyone from the SVG Thrive HQ in Los Gatos. And one of the second thing was we actually went to the Global Agritech Summit, which was held at uh, San Francisco. Going there, it's mind-blowing the amount of people and the companies that were there. So it's like one of the most leading companies that's there and you get the opportunity to meet them, have a chat to them, see what they're doing and you know how, if there are potential for us to collaborate with them as well. And what sort of interest did you get while there? Oh, I mean, we got a lot. We actually potentially planning a pilot program in US as well on the East Coast. And we met with several of the large scale greenhouse manufacturers I mean, that's very helpful for us because we don't want to be a turnkey solution. We want to be a part of the companies who already have a great solution. So we're just increasing their solutions efficiency a bit more. So we are on chat with them at the moment. So I mean, it's definitely eye-opener, plus had a lot of positive feedback from the people in the crowd as well. You're very much part of the startup culture in Australia. What opportunities did you view exist for Victorian ag tech startups in the US? To be truly honest, I mean, US is about, I think, minimum five years ahead in the startup sector, especially on the ag tech sector. So there's much more funding and risk takers and early adapters when it comes to agriculture in their comparison to Australia. From that experience in the United States, did you come back thinking there are benefits of being an ag tech startup in Victoria? I mean, for us, we, we were thinking of even moving to our HQs to US because of the investor interest. But the thing with us is we already have a lot of relationship with engineering companies in Melbourne, plus we have a really good partnership with La Trobe University with several departments. 
and our manufacturing starting in here. So at the moment for the next 12 to 18 months, it's not a great decision for us to move. So we do want to stay in Australia and then see how everything works out. Nadoon, you mentioned earlier on that, you know, one of your biggest challenges back around 2019 was, you know, you were an IoT guy, an engineering background, not an agriculture background. Have you encountered other hurdles that you've had to get over? I think this is a common thing for all the startup. It's always funding. I mean, the bottlenecking in here in Australia is there's a lot of incubators and accelerators that picks you up in the initial days when you have an idea. But then once your idea is prospers out, then there's a middle part because startup has two alleyways. One is SaaS based, so which is software based, and then the second one is hardware based. Developing a hardware startup is 10 times more costly than a software-based startup and doing customer real trials because everything is had to be engineered. For example, our system has six module components. Each part costs hundreds and thousands of dollars to engineer, design, manufacture, do tooling. So there's not enough support to get these hardware companies to come to the next stage of attaining customers. I think that's where the gap is. Lastly, Nadoon, as an ag tech startup, what are your take-home messages or advice that you could give to other Victorian entrepreneurs? I mean, if you are an early-stage startup, be ready to give in several years. And uh, I don't have a plan B. Kind of work on one thing. This It works out. I mean, for us, we had an amazing journey the last three years. I mean, we evolved so quickly that, I mean, even we couldn't believe. I mean, most important thing is patents. You know, if, if you actually have a hardware solution that you're going to patent, Make sure your time, you only have 36 months from initial lodging to the final time that you have to pick the countries, which is a significant amount of cost. So there's, there's a lot of work that need to be done during that time. So, which means you have to make sure your funds are ready, you have enough people to support it. And uh, it's a long and hard journey, but I think if you find something you love, you will definitely put the heart and mind into it. No doubt, Nadun, it's been a long and hard journey, but it certainly sounds like you are starting to see the results. Nadun Hanayaka from Gaia Project Australia, thanks for joining us for this AgTech Innovators podcast and sharing your insights to others who might be on their own startup paths. Thank you, Drew. Thank you very much for your opportunity. Thank you for listening to AgTech Innovators. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.